Hello, and welcome to the All Saints Podcast. I'm Hugh Cole. Thank you for joining us this week. It's great to have you. As usual, we'll start this week with a sermon from the 10 a.m. service at All Saints Church Chevy Chase, followed by a sermon from the Family Table service. First up, we hear from our rector, Ed Kelleher, with a sermon for Sunday, January 10th, 2021, entitled, You Are Loved. To the glory of God, who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Amen. Well, good morning to everyone, and I can think of no better beginning than to tell you that you are loved. Everyone here is loved. Everyone who is watching on the live stream, you are loved. Your Lord Jesus, your Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Trinitarian Lord, loves you. Uh, your clergy love you, I love you, and I say that at a time when people need to be loved. We, let's say, I need to love you, and I need to be loved by you. I need it very much. We've gone through some wonderful things, and that the 12 days of Christmas ended a few days ago. Within those 12 days of Christmas, we had the holy name of Jesus to celebrate on uh, January 1st. Then as we go along, we had Epiphany this week, where Jesus is manifested to the world as the Son of God and the Savior. A great epiphany for all of us to have in our minds and hearts. Today we tack on to it the baptism of our Lord Jesus Christ. And in all this we have God speaking to us his love. He's telling us, I love you. Look at what I'm doing for you. Look at all these marvelous things to celebrate. Yet we get shook. We get shook this whole past year we've been shook. There have been things in the world that have just troubled us deeply and grieved us. More things this past week, it just seems to never end. But as it's been lately, it's been throughout all of eternity. Since Cain killed Abel, we've had difficult times, haven't we? But when we have difficult times, we're looking to hear from God. Uh, I love that story with uh, the king in the Old Testament who is being attacked by three mighty armies. And he says to his prophet, is there any word from the Lord? He wants to know, what does God have to say? I need to hear God right now. It's pretty tough out there. Uh, we've been hearing God bountifully, and we need to hear him more. Not only his message of love, but his message of assurance, his message that the king of heaven uh, does not uh, ever get attacked, that even the gates of hell don't prevail against the king of heaven. We stand in our solitude as the children of God, always knowing that we're going to be all right. No matter what is good or bad in the world, we reign because we are God's children. Luke chapter 12 tells us it is God's good pleasure to give us the kingdom. But in hearing the voice of God, we, we, we recognize that it may take some special listening. Some people say that to hear him, you need to be near him. I like that one. You need to be near to God, be in your prayers, in your life, in your heart, in your soul, and the way you do it. Another person said that the voice of God is, is little more than the Bible being in print. The Bible is the voice of God in print. There's something good for us to know. But the voice of God isn't just like this thing where some people say, well, I hear the voice of God in my head. Some people do, some people don't. I hear God's voice, not audibly, but I hear God speaking to me. But in the readings today, in all four readings, we have voices. All four readings, um, in Genesis, in the Psalm, in Acts, in the Gospel that we have today, the voice is being heard from someone and mostly from God. In Genesis, there's a void, there's nothing, and all of a sudden God says, let there be light, and he speaks. And these words come out, and we know that Jesus was the Word. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God, it was Jesus. So the first person of the Trinity is speaking, let there be light. The second one is out there creating it in Jesus, and the Holy Spirit hovers over it and perfects it all in all creation. And we see the whole Trinity involved in creation all together. 
That is a gorgeous thing, but somehow we have taken that creation and we have many, many ways of messing it up. As, as sinful, broken people in a sinful, broken world, we mess it up. And when I say sinful, broken people in a sinful, broken world, I don't mean to be dour and down and say, oh, it's just hopeless. I mean, let's recognize who we are, right? Let's look in the mirror, be humble, and say that's who we are. We're broken, and we need a Savior, and Jesus is that Savior. It's okay. We're like that. But we go past that to another magnificently powerful voice when God the Father speaks through the heavens after the Holy Spirit has descended like a dove upon the Son, Again, the whole trinity is there. Jesus being baptized by John the Baptist. And God says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Now what's interesting is, you're going to hear those same words. This is the beginning of Epiphany right now. Epiphany or the exposure, the revelation of Jesus as the Savior. We hear those words. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. But we're going to hear those same words at the end of Epiphany. It comes the last Sunday of Epiphany. Only at that time, God is going to say, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased listen to him. God tacks on that admonition, listen to him. So between now and then in the epiphany, we're holding on to these things. The powerful, booming voice that says, let there be light. The powerful, booming voice that says, this is my beloved son, and eventually listen to him. Suddenly, God's getting our attention. And we realize the voice of God isn't just something we talk about as some passing reference in scripture or some notion of holiness or piety. The voice of God is speaking to me. That's not what it is. It's real. So much so that the psalmist today, as Peter, with his voice so beautifully chanted for us, the psalmist says these words, the voice of the Lord, listen to the cadence, the voice of the Lord is upon the waters. The God of glory thunders, his voice thunders. The Lord is upon the mighty waters. The voice of the Lord is a powerful voice. The voice of the Lord is a voice of splendor. I love that one, splendor. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedar trees. The Lord breaks the cedars of Lebanon. The voice of the Lord splits the flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord makes the oak trees writhe and strips the forest bare. And in the temple of the Lord, what do we do? All of us are crying glory. Glory for the voice of the Lord that comes and does these things. The voice of the Lord is essential to you and me. I need to hear from him every day, every minute of my life. And in times that are difficult, where we see our beloved nation, I love this country, and I love everybody who's ever served it, I love my country, my country's in, in a mess. Nobody here is going to disagree with me, not a single person going to disagree with that, it's a mess. I need the Lord to speak. Lord, what would you have us do so we can get ourselves together? But it doesn't end there because you go on to the Acts reading. I tell you, all four readings talk about voices. The Acts reading has a little spin on, a little twist on the idea of a voice. Because in the Acts reading it says, when Paul had laid his hands on these people that he was with, the Holy Spirit came upon them. That's a good thing. You want that to happen. And they spoke in tongues and prophesied. Mm -hmm. They spoke in tongues so that the Holy Spirit now is causing people to speak. So now we get the idea, we are in on the speaking. Right? It's not just God when he speaks, and it's not just Jesus when he speaks, and the Holy Spirit gives us messages, but the Holy Spirit touches us so that we speak. And in that, we get a little bit of a taste of what we might be about the business of doing in this day and age and always, and that we are to speak like that and be like that. All four readings focusing on God. These readings teach us that we have an eternal purpose in Jesus, that we're not here on earth to do just nothing. I remember telling you a story maybe a year or two ago, I don't remember when I told it, but it was, it was a while back, about a foreign young woman who came to America to be an au pair. It was a story that was told as an anecdote by someone. I believe this really happened. 
and she was caring for the children of a family, and the kids were going nuts in the rec room of the house. They were just going crazy, screaming and yelling, and she was at a panic. She was supposed to keep them calm, right? So she goes in the room, and she wanted to say to them, what in the world are you doing? But her English was still in formation, and it came out instead as, what are you doing in the world? <laughs> and it's funny, but the point is made. What are you doing in the world? God might ask you. He might ask me to say, what are you doing in the world? Well, Lord, I'm enduring it. I hope to die and go to heaven one day. No, 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 no. You're here for a purpose. The purpose is to glorify me, to tell people about my son so they might have salvation, to help people get along. And it's not just this pie in the sky over the mansion, over the hilltop existence, where we're trying to get people something so that when they die, it's okay. God cares about the here and now. He cares about us deeply right now. I keep telling you, I know there was a resurrection that paves the way to eternal life. I get that. But there was also an incarnation. We just had Christmas, the incarnation of our Lord. If you were to look in your prayer books, you would see the December 25th date is not called Christmas. It's called the incarnation of the Lord. That was the significant theological event that he came and took on flesh, that he became incarnate, he became like us, and he became one of us. And in so doing, he was telling us, I care about you here and now, just as I care about you then. So what goes on here now is very, very important. Well, this week's uprising at the Capitol building is, I don't want to say, what is it, the apex, the culmination, the crescendo, the, heart, the, the next big thing that's happened after a whole year of things. But I caution you as Christian people of the kingdom of God not to think of a year or one event, but to think of all of humanity since Cain killed Abel that has been twisted and tormented like this. Mm -hmm. What we've seen this year is horrific but pales in comparison to the atrocities of the world elsewhere. And by that, I don't make light of it. I'm not trying to soft sell it. I'm saying, let's, let's understand what it is here. We want to keep our heads on straight as people of Jesus, as disciples, as the people who follow him, and make sure we get this right and what our role is doing. I told you I love our country. I love it deeply. I, I would die for my country. I know some of you have fought for our country, and I love you for that. Others of you just have patriotic hearts. You've lost people in your family. You love people who are no longer here because they fought and died. Valuable, valuable things have been given that we have freedom in the United States. However, remember we are dual citizens. Just like people say, well, I'm dual citizen. I'm also Greek and I'm American. I'm also Spanish and I'm American. I get dual citizenship. Ours is of a higher order. We are citizens of the kingdom of God where we have a king and his name is Jesus and we follow those scriptures and edicts and things that he gives us and we're also citizens of the United States and one is subordinate to the other the other is superordinate of the other have the kingdom of heaven stands over all nations over all creations over all the earth so when I come to the position of saying what do I do with my great country that is now in a disaster I turn to the kingdom of heaven to inform myself to inform the country the country never informs God country never informs the kingdom of heaven. We don't tell God things. Remember, we always see the world through the eyes of God. We don't look at God through the eyes of the world. We are holding on to say there's something better here. The healing we need, the correction we need, the way out of the mess is God. It's always been God. It always will be God. And when people and countries and governments dare to say God is irrelevant, they forget the voice of God spoke to create the world. The voice of God spoke to announce the Savior. The voice of God is so powerful it breaks cedar trees in Lebanon and moves mountains and does whatever it wants to do. And the voice of God is what's going to be required here. And everybody who ignores the role of God in government 
gets to the position where we find ourselves where we are, don't we? Why are we where we are? Because we've ignored what God has told us to do. Now hang on to that. Because in a couple of ways I want you to grab. I am not advocating here a theocracy, a government that's run by religious tenets. We have some of that in the Middle East. It's a disaster for them. And Jesus told us, they're never going to be with me like this. The world will always rail against me. Until I come back and return, you're always going to have these problems. So I'm not advocating that we start making the country Christian and we put some bishop in charge of being the president or any such thing as that. What I am advocating is that the people of God who are the salt of the earth and an epiphany may be the light of the world. That's our calling, an epiphany, the theme of light and epiphany, that we are to speak to help and do things and to change the way people behave and watch each other and live with one another. Peace and prosperity are what the world wants, and these are products and commodities that belong to the Lord God alone. There is no peace without God. Right? There is none. There is no prosperity without God. Well, our country is prosperous. Not without God, you're not. You're going to crash and burn. Every great civilization of the world, Rome, Greece, you name it, start lining them up, they all went down. And this one will go down too. The only one that will remain will be the kingdom of heaven in the end. I pray the United States will last for thousands of years if that's how long the world goes before Jesus comes back. But I know that nothing but the kingdom of heaven is worth putting my stock in. I'm not going to buy stock in any nation, any corporation, any university, any business, any anything. I'm only going to buy stock in the kingdom of heaven and in the church that God gives us. We are those people. Our country is under and beneath all of that. And we have to honor that. A friend of mine um, wrote an article, his name's Mike Metzger, and it was really a great article. And he talked about things in a third way of approaching things, not just the right and the left, but third ways. Really good. But in there he said something wonderful. He said this, he said, we have conservatives in this country and liberals, and that's, he said, that's a problem. Well, no, it's not a problem to have conservative and liberals. It's a problem the way they behave. But conservative thought or liberal thought itself, I, I get those things. But what goes on there is he's saying, that the conservatives are called conservatives because they conserve things. They like the status quo or the way it is, generally speaking. It's not an absolute, but they like those things. They try to preserve what was good in this country and not get on to the things that are ruining us. On the other side, you have liberal people who advocate change. They look at the conservatives and say, you want to conserve things, we need to change things. And not as an absolute, but by and large, they want change. Well, what we, become, what we come to realize is that when you advocate almost no change, or you advocate tons of change, or even if you don't, you're looking at one another as change people and status quo people with suspicion and rivalry, and frustration starts coming out of it, and anger and bitterness, and then all of a sudden people are cheating and lying and scheming and killing and murdering and doing all kinds of things in the name of their religion, which is politics. We as Christian people need to come and say no. Let's do it in the name of our religion, who is Christ the Lord. Let's do it in the way that God tells us to do. In other words, as these people are doing things, they need to understand they can never be successful without God's grace and without God's peace. We each must recognize the goodness and virtue in the other. Right now, you have people polarized. They look at the other side and say, I hate your guts. I'd be glad if you were dead. You say, oh, don't get so extreme. There are people who think that, where they should be saying, you know, I don't agree with you. But I don't have to love you and agree with you or agree with you and love you. I can love you even if I disagree with you. It's okay. They're not, they're, they're not mutually exclusive or mutually connected. You can be mutually exclusive. I can love you even if I disagree with you. And in so disagreeing with people, 
we can find ways to say, and you know, I know you're, you're wrong-headed in my view, but I see your heart's in the right place. Or I see that you genuinely believe what you're saying. Like these people say, oh, all these right-wingers are nuts. All these left-wingers are nuts. Really, you think that all of them are nuts? Don't go with this all absolutism stuff. People genuinely, in good faith, believe the things they believe in many cases, most cases. Of course, you have the radicals and people who don't have good faith in it. We agree with that. But people should see the goodness in one another. Instead of beating each other over their heads with our perceived righteousness, where I say, I'm right, so I'm going to beat you over the head with what I'm right about, and you're wrong, and you're right, and I'm wrong, and we start clubbing each other with this. Instead of doing that, we should bring the principles of love and sacrifice and the preciousness of souls and the other person to say, you're way off target, but let me love you in this. That's what's going to bring us together. Now, hang on, this is going somewhere. I'm not just preaching you know, vague things here, preaching you know, some kind of a, you know, great parable or so, some ideas. This is something that goes way beyond that. When the principles of love and sacrifice and preciousness are entered into the society and into the government, then people can disagree and still get along. It's not going to be perfect. I know we have in our Constitution the preamble that we are out to form a more perfect union more perfect union, which my friend Mike Metzger says means that it's not perfect and it's never going to be perfect. We're trying to find, make it more perfect. We recognize the union will never be perfect of this country, but we're trying our best to do it, and we do that. We can't go it alone because going it alone is what's got us where we are now. We need to bring God into it. So let's go step, a step further. God's will, God's instructions, God's scripture. You say, well, what is it we have to do then as a people of the church? How do we contribute to this? And indeed, we must. All Saints Church needs to be at the heart of it and do this. We need to bring the will of God to it. In other words, those who want to conserve things must recognize, yes, there are things that need to be conserved, but there are things that under God's will must be changed whether you like it or not. Those who want to change everything willy-nilly, I'm going to change, I hate everything, I want to change it all. Nonsense. There are many things by God's will that must be conserved. And when we get to understand that there is conservation, where God wants that, that same old-time religion stuff that he always talks about, that there are fundamentals of God, now, then, and always, that are true about God, we have to conserve and live by those. By the same token, God tells us, I am making things new. It's both sides of the coin. And when you say, I'm just this way and I like things to be the way they were, or I want everything changed, you're a fool. That's foolishness. You're, you're two sides of the same coin and you're pretending there's no other side. The heads of the coin can't say there's no tails. The tails of the coin can't say there's no heads. There's a heads and a tail, or you don't have a coin. And that's the way we are. And I don't pretend we're going to agree. We need to have both sides involved. We need to speak with our voices now. Remember this is about voices? And in that Acts reading, people were speaking by their voices, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. They were speaking in tongues. We need to speak normally. If you can speak in tongues, good for you. I can't do it. But if you can, fine. But we need to speak God's will to the world. I understand that when we go into the scriptures and we try to decide what God is saying, there's still going to be disagreement. You'd point at me and say, your theory is flawed. There's still disagreement, even if you go to the word of God and try to bring it to the world. Because people in churches don't agree on the word of God. That's okay. You think they agreed at the time of the apostles? The apostles were tearing each other up in disagreement. It's never been all agreed to. However, the means of disagreement by which they were able to move forward were grace and peace and love and holding one another preciously, which we have lost completely as society, it seems. So we as a church need to help people to understand how to be that way. We must understand that disagreement does not equal hate. And agreement is not qualified to love. 
we can disagree and still love one another. There are many things that need to be changed. Now, some people will say, well, this is just like centricism, neutralism, milk toast. You're weak. You're, you're tepid. You're trying to say, be some middle centricist thing. No. What I'm saying is even harder than taking a hard right-wing position or a hard left-wing position. What I'm saying is the most difficult thing of all. What I'm saying is you're going to have to sit there in your own predilections and admit and then actually step out to do the opposite thing that you always have been holding on to and clinging to in your pride, in your intellect, and in your own view of the world and say, God wants this changed. And gosh, I'm, I'm against that change, but I'm going to have to do it because God wants it. I want this thing changed, but God says don't change it. By golly, I want to change, but I can't change it because God says don't change it. Right? And when we get to the point where we're looking at things that are that way, we, you know, we have it right. It's not a lukewarm thing. Remember in Re uh, Revelation 3.16, Jesus says, Because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. Right? There's nothing lukewarm about this. This is a difficult thing to do. It's hard to do. And we as a church need to go forward and conserve those things of God even when we don't want to, and to change those things for God even though we don't want to because God will tell us what he wants to do in different places. There is no safe place to stand. All right? Remember that. There is no safe place to stand in this continuum of political, social, cultural thought. The only safe place to stand is on the Word of God and the Kingdom of God, proclaiming God's will and telling people we're going to do it even if it hurts, even when it's difficult. And even there, it's not completely safe in the world because people will attack you for that. Jesus told us, when you speak my word and you speak my name and you, you're going to do these things, you're going to suffer on account of my name. We as a church will suffer in it. That's why I say it's nothing milk toast about it, nothing easy about it. It's going to bring pain. It's going to bring difficulty. Each side is going to have to give up their golden calves. Each side is going to have to give up their idols because there's only one idol, and that's our Lord God. And when we get into that, we'll be better. And I don't pretend everybody's going to buy into it. But heck, you get one or two or three percent of people, uh, you got it. We're the leaven of the world. When you bake something, how much leaven do you put in? A little bit. When you make food, how much salt do you put in? Just a little bit. But that little bit of salt is the salt of the world that we are. It changes the recipe. That little bit of leaven makes the bread rise. So that little bit of us is all the world needs. And we need to go forward and do these things, speaking God's holy word. Now, understand, we're about the business of doing it already uh, in what we call an appetizer fashion. Our senior warden, Cindy Wade, our family pastor, Gary Weeder, our church treasurer, Tony Demidio, and so many people working with them have been working on this kingdom relations idea during the shutdown. We don't see it much because we're not here on Sunday mornings. You've got to do it online. But we're starting with this idea of kingdom relations. And the idea of the kingdom relations is not that we're going to tell the world what's right or wrong. The world will decide in unity. We'll all get together and do that. But we're trying to come to a way where we act about the business of determining what is right or wrong under the culture of the Lord, under the culture of love, sacrifice, forgiveness, holding one another preciously, not just equally. Remember, equal is not the standard. Equal gets you know equal rights, that's, that's weak. You want to hold people preciously, way above equal rights. Hold that you're, you're precious to me. You're not just equal to me, you're even better than me. In our hearts, we hold people that way. And I encourage you all to get into that. At Epiphany, when God manifests himself to the world in the light of Jesus Christ, we need to do it too. And I'll tell you something, especially for those of you watching live stream and all, I know this sermon is long. I know it's long. 
I knew two days ago when I preached this thing, and I'm just going to let it go, and I don't care where it lands, because we need the Word of God now without any rules. Normally we hold it 12 to 15 minutes. I'm way past that. I'm going to show you that. We need another five hours of this. We need to change, give up our idols, to give up the fact that we don't get it our way, but we get it God's way. By not doing it my way, I'm not doing it your way, I'm doing it God's way. And when we start getting to that, and Epiphany starts to change, we learn that God's voice can be spoken through me and spoken through you. So that All Saints Church and its role in the city of Washington, what is it? Not to advocate a liberal agenda, not to advocate a conservative agenda, to advocate the agenda of the kingdom of God, telling people, here is how we can love one another in our disagreements. We can't tell people what to think, not even within the parish, can we? There are people sitting in the pews don't agree. That's okay. We have good minds. God gave us minds, each to be different. But we can advocate a godly way of going about things where we don't have things like this happen again. And we're so near the White House and the Capitol and all these things in this city that we can really make an impact. We get another 10, 15, 20, 30, 50 churches on the same wavelength, and they're out there, they're doing it too, kind of band together and go after these folks. It'll be a different world. Jesus Christ is the Son of God. At the Epiphany, we were told he's coming to this world to bring light and grace and love and truth. And because of that, we are ever grateful. But not just grateful, we're obedient. And in obedience, he calls us to serve, and to do, and to be the voice of God in the world. May we have the courage by the power of the Holy Spirit to do all of that and more. Amen. And now, a children's homily from Father B.J. Burriker. Hey everybody, it's Father B.J. here, and I'm speaking to you today from my living room. I hope you're doing well, had a Merry Christmas, and a Happy New Year. I want you to think today about an important day in your life. Maybe it was just this past Christmas, or your birthday. That's always an important day. Maybe it was the day you remember when you learned how to ride a bike or you finally got straight A's, or got to sing in a concert, or you scored a goal in soccer. One of these really important days. One of the most important days in my life was the day when I got married to my wife Kimberly. I can still remember her walking down the aisle in that beautiful dress and when we finally got to say I do. From that day forward, everything was different. I'm no longer just me, it's now me and Kimberly. And for many of these important days for you, they change something about you. Now, you are someone who knows how to ride a bike, or you are one of the scorers on your team, or you can consider yourself a performer. Whatever it is, it's important. This weekend, we celebrated a really important day in the life of Jesus. Now, it doesn't perhaps get as much fanfare as his death on the cross, his resurrection, or even his birth that we just celebrated but it's really important all the same. And that day was the day Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist in the River Jordan. John had been baptizing many people, and Jesus came up and was baptized by him. And when he comes up out of the water, the heavens open up, the Holy Spirit comes down and rests upon Jesus like a dove, and a voice from heaven says, This is my Son, the Beloved with whom I am well pleased. Jesus is declared God's son on that day. 
Now, he was already God's son, but that day was important. It started the beginning of Jesus' public ministry. From that day forward, he wasn't just a carpenter in Nazareth. No, he was a miracle worker. He was a teacher, and he became the savior of the world through his death and resurrection. And so much of it begins on that day when he is baptized. Now, I'm guessing most of you have also been baptized, and that's an important day in your life too. Because on that day, you were declared a son or a daughter of God as well. You belong to him, and Jesus is your older brother. Now, with many of these great events, you have something to remember it by. I wear this wedding ring to remind me of the day that I got married. If you were baptized at All Saints, you may have received a candle just like this. A friend of mine actually has a vial of water from the River Jordan, the same river that Jesus was baptized in, to remember his baptism and the baptism of his kids who were all baptized with that water. But you've got something even better than a candle or a ring or a vial of water. You have the Holy Spirit. When you were baptized, the priest made a cross on your head and said, you are sealed by the Holy Spirit in baptism and marked as Christ's own forever. You belong to him. Remember that. Because no matter how bad the day might be, you belong to Jesus. If nobody else will talk to you, you belong to Jesus. If you get hurt, you belong to Jesus. And boy, isn't that good news. So let us always remember that we belong to Jesus and let us follow the example of our big brother Jesus in loving other people the way he has loved us. I wish you all the best. God bless you and I love you. Thank you again for listening to the All Saints Podcast. To download future episodes automatically, you can subscribe and have the episodes delivered to you each week by going to iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts and clicking subscribe. And if you've liked the podcast so far, we would really appreciate it if you took a few minutes to give us a rating. As always, please be well, stay safe, and God bless.